Welcome to Passion Fruits, a passion project for passionate people. I'm your pine nut, Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) And my name's Adam, your Churimoya child. Uh, And I'm Liz, your Ginkgo Biloga geeky engineer. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) What? No. Damn it. I've been overrun by beatniks. Please send help. (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, welcome to Passion Fruits. This Daniel. is how every single episode starts. We rip on the fruit that we talk about. You say that my fruit that I chose is not a fruit, and then you say "anyways" in that downward tone, meaning you're getting down to business and you disapprove generally about everything that we're doing. Adam, just have some fun sometime. Have some fun. This is, this is the no fun zone, Daniel. Oh, Gosh. I prefer the no spin zone. Because I get motion sickness, but <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> wait, Thank hold you, on, Liz. Liz guest, no, she jumped in before she was even introduced, <laughs> even though she's been on the podcast before. <laughs> Jumping in, nope. <laughs> um, so Adam, <laughs> anyways, Adam and Liz, geez, um. <laughs> What do we do on this podcast? Oh boy! Well, we we talk about a great many things, Daniel, and billions of listeners. Mm. We uh, we we take the this the hot topics of today, and more importantly, we talk to many people. We talk to them about their passions and what takes them from being a casual fan of something to being a passionate fanatic about that yes. thing. Or activity. We've, we've covered hot topics like Metallica, Very REM, hot. Dave Matthews, <laughs> <laughs> the hottest bands <laughs> everywhere. We are on the cutting edge. It's a razor thin line that we are on, and we are like right on top of it. We are right there. We 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 have a Pulitzer coming our way. Yes, for, for exactly. our for our hard you know hard hitting investigative for- journalism. For our peace work, I think we're gonna win the um, <laughs> we're gonna win the Nobel Peace Prize. I'm not even I'm forgetting the I'm not even gonna go with the Pulitzer. I think we're gonna get the Nobel Peace Prize. All right, All right. lofty goals. Yeah. Aim high. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you, guest. <laughs> She's just saying that so we'll have her on again. <laughs> <laughs> she wants that part of that sweet, sweet million yeah. dollar Nobel Peace Prize money, eh? <laughs> she wants the uh, Emmy for a guest spot. Um, <laughs> Ah, well, so what are we talking? (laughs) Yes, because we are the Emmy board. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So, Adam, what are we talking about tonight? Well, today, as she was so uh, kind of rapidly introduced beforehand or self-introduced, we have Liz back back on the podcast to talk to us about stream restoration. Woo. Yeah, which Uh, which is a little bit of a departure from our usual subjects. I, I think. We, we, yeah, usually we're talking about like um, art restoration, Sistine Chapel, <laughs> Mona Lisa, the restorations of like sculptures and paintings. But today we're getting really deep into dirt and nature. Yeah, sorry to bring you guys down. Could um, Liz, would you be able to introduce yourself again? Because I can certainly try. <laughs> Please remember exactly <laughs> what you said. Hi, I'm Liz. You're Geeky Gingo Biloba engineer. And in the in that case, no, we we wanted to And I'm your pine nut Dan. Oh, <laughs> <gracious. sighs> 
Um, anyway, Liz, uh, we are talking with you today about stream restoration. Mm-hmm. Why are we talking to you about stream restoration? Well, I think it all kind of started when I went on a mini rant uh, about the the new changes to the nationwide permit and how it's going to impact my my career and impact all the streams that I've been trying to protect for the last fifteen years because of the uh, recent administration forcing a, a change. So I, I, I think you guys read that and kind of got a worm in your ear about what this kind of stuff is. And, and then all of a sudden you saw all these Tonka toys playing in a Creek on my Instagram. <laughs> That's all Adam cared about. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. That's, I, I'm just fascinated by heavy machinery. So, you know, me. Oh, I am too. <laughs> if every policy could involve some form of heavy machinery, then Adam would like just follow that policy no matter what Republican, Democratic, <laughs> Green Party, you know, anything really. You know, you know what you need, Liz, to kind of be the the celebrity poster poster boy for stream restoration is Matt LeBlanc, aka Joey from Friends. Apparently, he has a wonderful obsession with heavy machinery. Like he literally owns land and has like excavators and bulldozers and stuff just to like play. I know so many people that do that. <laughs> That's and it's amazing. Ridiculous. There's, they're so expensive, but I guess you can get them used for, you know, slightly rent, less expensive. <laughs> rent to own, rent to own. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> subprime mortgage. You know, if uh, Matt LeBlanc was <laughs> was on uh, the set of your stream restoration, he would just be sa- standing there going, "How's it going?" Uh, doing his. <laughs> oh God, Joey <laughs> impressions. Be, uh, I guess you probably wanted to know more. Like instead of just how that all came about that you guys learned that I do this stuff, maybe more the uh, why I um suggested even that I that I get on, get on here and and talk about this stuff is I, I probably have an unhealthy obsession with this career and what I've been doing, uh, but it it's really good for the planet and some people don't believe that, but I I wanted to have the opportunity to yammer on about it so um i think that's kind of why i'm here (laughs) yeah well it it really impressed upon us with your soliloquy uh that we were that your sonnet yeah that we were witness to and and this is passion this is passion fruits like clearly you're very passionate about it we want to talk to people who are passionate about this and you, you know like daniel said usually it's been you know things that people are passionate about hobbies or bands or whatnot but this is I'd say one of the first times we've had someone on to talk about their career, which is, mm. I I would say rare. <laughs> well, except for Mark, don't discount Mark. Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Adam, sorry, Adam. Mark. Sorry. Um, clearly, <laughs> He's listening right now. No, he almost yeah. shat his pants, but no, <laughs> you saved. <laughs> but no, I think I think it's a it's a wonderful trend that we're trying to do is talk to people about why they do the things they do, and especially because yeah. you've dedicated your life to this thus far, Liz. Mm. And we would like to learn more about it. So, can, to kick things off, start start us way back when when you're when you're when you were. Uh, you know, in college, kind of deciding what you want to do, like was stream restoration always at the forefront of what you wanted to do based on the degree that you were getting or what did it start back in high school, middle school? What, where did this start? Well, my obsession with the environment that started in high school, I was, I was president of my environmental club in high school. 
Our teacher was Mr. Rush. I just his last name just always makes me laugh because we had t-shirts that said, can you feel the rush? And he used to say, well, no, I don't want that t-shirt because I don't want people to just feel me. But um, <laughs> anyways, so I was, did he enter the modern day warrior? Today's Tom Sawyer. <laughs> he, I, Hello? is this thing still on? Hello. No? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely hearing for you, Daniel. Um, so I, have always had a, or since then I've had a uh, affinity for doing what I could to help the planet, big old tree hugger, that sort of thing. But yeah, no, I had no idea what stream restoration was when I was in college. I I went to school for an environmental engineering degree because I felt like that was the best chance I was going to have to do something impactful for the environment, maybe work for the EPA or something like that. And I didn't find out about this like sub degree that kind of fed into this really interesting field called stream restoration until the last semester of my super senior year, because I took five years and not four. Uh, And at that point I had been in school for almost five years and I said, yeah, screw that noise. I'm getting out of school. (laughs) (laughs) I, I had to go around a roundabout to get to where I am because right after I graduated. I had a job as we all pretty much did, but then it was 08. So the bubble popped. Mm. And while I had a job, I lost my job and I had to take the first job I could get, which just happened to be a a stream modeling job for a company called Greenhorn and Omara, which doesn't exist anymore. It was bought by Stantec about five years ago. Mm kind of one of those things where these engineering firms just keep on buying other engineering firms and eventually it's just going to be one engineering firm. Um, the, the world of bi- the big world of corporate big engineering, let me tell you. Yeah. Consulting all, engineering. All the, yeah. All, <laughs> yeah. They're up there with the JP Morgan chases is how corrupt exactly. and how, oh how crazy they are. Woo, man. Especially this environment. Of Wall Street, am I right? Exactly. <laughs> Especially those environmental exactly engineering what I see firms. all these engineers doing. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen the boats you own, Liz. We've seen the boats. <laughs> Plural. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, I learned stream modeling ins and outs and did it for three years and became a master at that program. Sorry, Liz. Um for the layperson, I mean, <laughs> Adam and I know what stream modeling is. Oh, sorry. But could you let us know what stream modeling is? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Again, for the layperson, not sure, Adam sure. or I. Uh, well, this particular company had several contracts with FEMA. And what we did was we would build the models in the program called HECGRAS, which is a free program from the Army Corps of Engineers. It it models a stream in in 1D. So you have, I think it might be 2D actually. You have oh, uh, cross sections every 100, 500, 1000 feet down a stream. And you apply a, a flow to that stream that's been mm. modeled by someone way smarter than I was, a hydrologist. And mm. you put it all together in this one program and it will model anticipate the stormwater rise. So what you do from that is you give it to your GIS crew and the same company and they create the maps that FEMA produces for 
floodplain restrictions. So, so Liz, with with that, so you were basically working with working to help. Uh, I mean, it calculates the wrong thing, but oh, no. kind of yeah, estimate. Sorry, you're right. Calculating is correct. It's you're you're. I was calculating the 100 year, 500 year, 10 year, 50 year floodplain elevations. Cool. Gotcha. It's and, real boring work. I went insane after three years of doing it. Oh, and that's why you're on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Only uh, an insane person would agree to be on this podcast. I guess, but, short story long, um, mm. I went from there to a couple other companies, but I finally landed at one that would send me to the re- stream restoration classes. And that was kind of where it all started. So... Do you want to know the history of stream restoration at this point? Sure. Uh, yes. So, Boy, do we ever. I will so, try so, to. I, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. I think it's interesting that you got from there to here because obviously the hydrology part yeah. <laughs> of of your, of your career. I, I I was you know maybe it's not obvious, but. Per, you know, maybe it's a revelation to me, but I think that that's a really neat foundation to get you to where you are. So like other people in your field, Liz, did they come from a similar background of doing, you know, stream modeling essentially? No, it's primarily the, the other designers that you'll see. There's a lot of biologists, there's other engineering disciplines. I'm one of the only ones I've I know that actually had so much FEMA mapping under their belt before getting into stream restoration. And it's actually helped a lot because that that program that I was forced to learn has just kind of carried me along on my career because you, you always need to model streams, whether you're doing a bridge replacement or mapping a FEMA map or doing a, a no-rise for a stream restoration project. It's, it's one of those... It's almost like the Microsoft Word of <laughs> of business management or, or Excel or whatever. It's it's used in in every application. Mm-hmm. Nice. Was was there a Clippy that helped you out with your stream restoration? <laughs> Is that well, it like, looks like your was tr- that the <laughs> um the paperclip? Yes, yeah. <laughs> looks like you're trying to write a resume. I mean, restore a stream. <laughs> no, no, that damn program is so buggy. That's part of the reason why it was. Uh, I got so good at it is I started to learn. I you have to learn the bugs and learn how to work around. <laughs> and this is what we base our insurance maps on. <laughs> it's like how how buggy was it? Was it was it like oh in you know in thirty years this there's going to be forty feet of water over top right. of this town that's you know six thousand feet above sea level kind of thing. no but it is nice to know that the hydraulic calculations are at least twenty percent wrong oh good yeah yes that is, that is very good to know. well I am only buying property on top of hills from here on yeah out. never ever buy property anywhere near a stream. <laughs> If it looks, if you're in a stream, you're next to a hill and you're in the flat part between the stream and the hill, don't buy that house. (laughs) Hold on. I'm taking notes. Don't (laughs) buy house in floodplain. Okay. Gotcha. Nice. All right. I'm taking notes too. Don't buy house boat. Wait. (laughs) 
So, Liz, would houseboats solve all of these problems? I mean, they're the, you know, probably. You know what I love about houseboats? If you don't like your neighbors, you can just pick up anchor and leave. <laughs> oh, it's true. No. <laughs> it's and... <laughs> but Liz, uh, let's continue on and hear more about how you got to where you were with learning stream restoration programs to where right. you are today. So I, I took the, the classes are, there's a couple different ways you can get the classes. NC State actually has a, a workshop that you can do, but primarily everybody goes to this one guy's classes. His name's Dave Rosgen, and he goes both in the, he, he teaches in the East, he teaches in the West, he goes all over the place. He's taught probably 80 to 85% of the people that do stream restoration. And he was taught by the guy that kind of founded it all. Um, Leopold. I can't remember his first name at the moment. He, so Dave Roskin's in his seventies and he's been doing this since he got out of college himself. He kind of figured all of this out by simply walking streams out West and seeing how the structures interacted with a stable stream. So I was fascinated by, by all of this. And I took these classes because I really wanted to get, well, for one thing, this it's very field heavy. So I wanted to opportunity to be in the field as much as I, as I could, but also just the idea that I could be a part of making the environment better, like tangibly was the whole reason I got into engineering. <laughs> so it was, it was something I couldn't really pass up. And I have, um, it's been my long goal to always get into into stream restoration and the company that paid to send me to all those classes did not end up going after any projects. They just drug their feet and never put in any proposals. So ultimately I got this fantastic offer from a stream restoration construction company, which was a complete departure of engineering, but they brought me on to be one of their um, construction project managers. And they, that was my last job before the one I'm at now. <clears throat> and I was there for almost three years and got to actually build five or six streams, I think, and learned so much about constructability and what actually, how it all goes in the ground. And at, well, I also learned how to operate a dozer and a excavator and a off-road truck. Which is Lucky. a hell of a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> so so Adam jealous. <laughs> I'm literally Adam. salivating right now. It's like, <laughs> Adam, you're going to short out your <laughs> microphone. Please, <laughs> please stop drooling. <laughs> it is so much fun. I, I will say that an excavator is the hardest one for me to do, to operate, because it's there's so many different operations with the joysticks. You have two joysticks all to operate one part of the machine. And one of the joysticks operates part of the machine, like the boom, and also rotates it. <laughs> nice. So it's like, oh, God. <laughs> but the dozer, man, I love the dozer. You just get in there, you lower the blade, and you just push everything over. Nothing stands in the way of a dozer. <laughs> is this is this your Napoleon complex coming to full bear, Liz? Like you're <laughs> Nothing stands in the way yeah. of Liz dozer. <laughs> I, feel, I finally feel my true size in the dozer. We actually, um, I, I actually have a problem operating some equipment because I am too short. 
Oh man. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I can't sorry. like, uh, excavators run, they can run their, the tr- turn their tracks either with pedals on the ground or on the floor or with these long joysticks that come up from the pedals. And I was too short to reach the pedals. <laughs> My feet were just dangling in the machine. So <laughs> I had to, I was the dorky one driving around with my hands and everybody else is like operating their boom while still moving their equipment. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and but from I then did. on, Liz yeah. forever regretted. And now she has legs, leg extensions. Congratulations, Liz. <laughs> Oh, God. I just taped blocks to the bottom of my feet. I'm just kidding. I left the excavators up to the guys that didn't suck at it. And then I got in a dozer because I fit in that. That's the way to do it, Liz. You delegate Delegate. to the people. Yeah. You're like, listen, dude, (laughs) I'm going to go with the dozer, okay? (laughs) Excuse me. And then you uh, destroy an apartment complex. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, no, no, Liz, the other way. Excuse me. Okay. okay. Restoring streams here. (laughs) Oh, God. um, Interesting fact, the um, articulating trucks, the ones that have the gigantic bed in the back and the pivots in the, and right behind the cab, huge tires. You sometimes see them on the side of the road for like really big projects where they're moving Mm -hmm. a lot of dirt. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like driving a gigantic minivan. What what do you mean by that? It's just very cushy, but also very, very bouncy. <laughs> you can fold the seats down, uh, put the kids' boogie boards in the back. Oh, no, they fit uh, in the bed. Okay. <laughs> put the boogie boards in the bed, put the dog back there. Yeah. Kids get their ju- juice boxes again, spill them everywhere. And when, when you're done, you just lift the bed and they all fall out and you just drive <laughs> away. <laughs> Maybe and, I should be a mother. <laughs> and now social services is at your door. Well done. Hey, Liz. <laughs> listen, you're talking to Liz Dozer, okay? <laughs> you step off. Uh, <sighs> um, so I I worked at at that company for two and a half, two and three quarters of a year. And I, I really had the itch to use my stamp again. And, and the company that I'm with now was owned by somebody that I had met in the Roskin courses. And he and I had talked back and forth about me coming on board a couple different times because he really needed somebody that had that HECRAS training. And it really just worked out that at the beginning of this year, I made the transition from the construction company back to consulting engineering and have... Um, been there since like I've been there since then. Um, <laughs> oh, ah, yes. Wow. In case you didn't know, that's how that works. <laughs> Wait, hold up. My mind is blown. Taking more notes. One second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that could be the, uh, that could be the uh, motto of this podcast. Been there since then. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um. Anyways, uh, I'm. He's, he's, uh, since I hadn't actually had the opportunity to get design under my belt, he's actually giving me the opportunity to, to learn that side of it. Um, all the while I'm doing all of his, as much, as much as I can of his HECRAS no rise certifications and, um, offsetting the cost of training somebody that already has 12 years under their belt because that does not, you know, isn't, that isn't free. Right. Um, and that's, that brings me to today. What I just finished doing, what caught Adam's eye so much was I was the engineer on site for a stream restoration that the, the company had designed 
a year or so ago. And it was this gigantic dam removal in outside of Boone. It was like between Boone and Blowing Rock. And it was off of the middle fork of the New River. And that dam had been there for a hundred years, but it had been breached since the seventies. And it just had 40 feet of sediment accumulation behind it. It's, it was a combination of a massive amount of earth moving and a full stream restoration. It was intense. Yeah. And and so Liz, let's, I, I want to dive into that a little bit. So to careful, s- there's 40 feet of sediment back there. <laughs> Don't Might be a hard dive. <laughs> Just slid right in. Oh, um, that's what she said. <laughs> this is a family friendly podcast. Come Liz. Yeah. Come on. Can't you listen to all of our fucking episodes? Uh, this is family friendly. God damn it. <laughs> Fuck. Um, so, so you 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 went from we had this project, you know, a breach dam that had been there for I guess what a half a century now, uh, and yeah, well, the and, breach had been there for half a century, yeah, and and Boy, so make us feel old, Adam. Jeez, God, yeah, uh, well, you're welcome. All seventies child kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, why why was it necessary to basically? complete destruction of the dam and remove the sediment. Like what was that doing to the environment around it? And what, what improvements did your project bring to that, you know, small ecosystem there within the stream? Okay. Well, as with a lot of stream restoration things, there's, there's also a human element. And in this particular case, that project probably never would have happened if it hadn't been for the fact that the dam was slowly just like breaking apart. So the one thing that there's just been this, there was a big push for a while to, for dam safety and it funds a lot of things. So because the dam was starting to fail, it became a hotter item and there was more opportunity for funding because of that. So that's part of the reason why the project came about was just to get rid of the thing. But that stream downstream and up uh, of the downstream of the, of the dam was a trout river. So there was a lot of trout in the in the stream and people would fish it all the time, but trout were not able to jump 40 feet in order to migrate upstream. So it was, they're like constantly feeding these little stretches of stream with trout and <laughs> the trout was, weren't able to actually propagate themselves, which is often a problem with, um, with urban ice streams. There's just not the habitat. So what we ended up doing by removing the dam and reestablishing a more natural bed elevation and slope, we're allowing the trout to go from downstream to upstream and vice versa. We actually finished the project the day of the trout moratorium, which meant that we had to get out of the river at that point. And that was for the trout to start their spawning. So we finished, wrapped up the project, we're out of the river, everything was clear water again, Right before they started migrating upstream to make babies. <laughs> oh, <get> yeah. Busy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is the Liz. Uh, Liz sees that, sees all the trouts just having sex. A silent tear falls down Liz's face. She says, This is why we do this job, boys. <laughs> it was this worth it for all those job. little birds. <laughs> 
the excavator operator is like, uh, is she okay? <laughs> she drives the dozer into the apartment complex. <laughs> they might have thought that a couple times. I did not operate any of their equipment this time. Um, I I was it was offered by the the foreman because it wasn't our company; it was a, another construction company, mm. and I had told them that I knew how to operate them all. So they're like, "Well, why don't you?" Why don't you go ahead? I was like, take it for a spin. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to make a fool of myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and kind of, sorry, if I interrupt real quick, mm. um, talking about the projects that you've done and the work that you've done. So with this project that you just finished up, like who hired you or like the other projects that you've done, like for construction companies, like, you know, that may just be the construction company building something, needing uh, stream modeling and trying to figure out stuff. But like who hired you for this job and who would generally hire you for jobs like this? Well, the, that particular project was a, a conglomerate of people that came together and, decided to to focus on getting that that reach fixed partially because of the dam partially because of uh the greenway that was next to it and they wanted to make it better um so those people approached uh, a company called resource institute which is out of winston-salem and mm-hmm. they're a non-profit non-profit organization that finds the money to make these stream restoration projects happen gotcha they approached Adam, my boss, and said, he, you know, like, look, we have this opportunity to take out this damming, um, but we need, you know, we're probably going to need a, a good engineer for it, probably, definitely. And also, it, he, Adam actually kind of helped with the outreach and the getting the, the money all squared away. Mm-hmm. So it became a, like a team making this whole project happen. So ultimately resource Institute, that was their project. They put it out to bid, ended up hiring Adam to do the design. And then when it went from, it was, you know, the design was accepted by all the invested parties. It went to, went to bid again. And that was when it it got picked up by North state environmental who did the construction. And I was working for Adam still am right. That's since I've been there since then. And, uh, (laughs) right. We do know that. (laughs) Right. And one of the major reasons why he brought me on was because he knew he had this project coming in and he knew that I had the project management for construction under my belt already. So he, he knew I would know what I was doing out there. And this was one of the major reasons he brought me onto the company was in order to be out there for this project every day, Mm. nonstop. So ultimately, I guess Adam hired me, but, Resource Institute hired Adam. Gotcha. And not every comp, not every project, most projects do not leave funding in their in their pool to pay for an engineer to be on site every day. Mm-hmm. Maybe not every project needs it. You know, the little ones they probably are okay with just a visit every once in a while. But this one had so many invested parties, so many moving parts. It was such a big and open project. We had people driving by every day 
just like getting out of their car and walking next to the excavators to go look at the work. Me, I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, get back in your car. Yeah. Were these like, (laughs) were these civvies as you may call them? I do not call them that, but yes, they were. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Liz just calls them trash. (laughs) Whoa. Get out of here. No, no. I love all of the pedestrian people walking on my construction site. That makes me happy. Right. So happy. Here's a little PSA. If you see a piece of yellow equipment, do not get out of your car. <laughs> Unless your name is Adam Hampton, you're authorized to do it whenever and wherever you want. So Liz, like so with the with the project that you were, you know, just recently a part of, um so you said it's, you know, the the Middle Fork uh river that Middle flows essentially sorry? Middle fork of the new. Okay. So Jesus. Adam. Ah, uh, God. Ah. Uh. So is this Liz, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. <sighs> Middle fork of the new river. I, I sincerely apologize. I Thank hope that you, you all can forgive give my, forgive my transgressions. <laughs> I'll take you off the list, Adam. I'll take you off the list. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with and, and and you mentioned so this is over in the Boone area, mm-hmm. correct, of, of North Carolina. Right. And one of the big projects that you were alluding to was the construction of the Middle Fork Greenway. And so you were saying that the removal of this dam kind of paved the way um, for the continuation of the gre- of the construction of the Greenway between Blowing Rock and Boone. Is that correct? It it was part of a spur trail, so we're not that. That little portion of Middle Fork of the New uh, is not on the main part of the greenway that's going to connect those two cities, which, by the way, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little spur trail that will connect a a little neighborhood to the the bigger greenway. But the gotcha. the greenway committee was very involved in the design and application of the project. I don't think that they actually footed any of the money, but they were they were invested. They were they, making complaints, things like they that. were probably <laughs> the looky loos that came down there to look at uh, the work that was going on. Yeah, they were. There was this one gentleman who had been living in, in that floodplain for most of his life, and I mean, he even had some of the the old surveys of the area. But he he would come down at least once or twice a week and just walk through what used to be the greenway, which is right next to the con- active construction. And he just be there. <laughs> just walk through the stream, fall into the water, be like, Whoa! you have to throw him a uh, lifesaver. <laughs> Not just scoop him um, out with an excavator bucket. Oh, that works. <laughs> <laughs> You but, would after a while you would try and threaten him with the dozer. Be like, next time I'm pushing that forty years of sediment on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I saw some really interesting things in that sediment. It's mm. kind of goes into my tree hugger rant, but the <laughs> the stream buried years and years of transgressions, right? And at the very bottom, I found a pristine bottle of, um, what's it, what was it? Um, it was a soda from back in the day. I think it's actually still made. Like crush, sort of, but not crush. Mm, it was crush. Surge? No, I don't think surge was back then. But anyways, no. like these things were buried for 140, 20 years. 
and they were still there. Perfect condition. Wow. Not any sort of deterioration. And that soil was very organic. <laughs> That's like the, the peat of Scotland or something, uh, preserving mummies and bodies and stuff. But this is a bottle of surge from the, <laughs> from 150 years ago. Wow. And a piece of plastic. Oh, and an ice cube CD. Oh, right. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, we'll give out your social media if you're okay with it later. Um, where people can see the uh, Ice Cube CD finding and Ice Cube listening party. Okay. Um, after <laughs> after all of this, I do actually have um. I I I saved that long story I made where I explained stream restoration with pictures mm -hmm. from the project. I yeah. saved that to my Instagram. Um. Well, Adam, you inhaled like you're going to ask a question. No, yeah, I, I was just. I, I find that really interesting because I, I, I want to get to, and, and we'll get to this a little bit later on as kind of like the, the broader impacts of what stream restoration does, because I know that the middle fort greenway is, is uh was a very popular community development project in that Boone blowing Brock area. And it's really about connecting these two towns in the mountains of North Carolina uh, with, with like a really easy, Tra you know, Greenway Trail, which I don't, not that everyone on this, who's listened to this podcast, all of our billions of listeners have, you know, mm -hmm. made that trek between Blue, uh, Boone and Blowing Rock, but it's a, it's a pretty windy four lane road and there's really no way to like walk or bike between the two no. uh, in, in, in a good way. And so it's, it's, you know, I have a friend who owns a bike shop in Blowing Rock and the Middle Fork Greenway could be a huge boon to his business because he sits more or less right at the beginning of the Greenway and Blowing Rock. And it's it's that kind of, you know, secondary and tertiary economic development and kind of community building that, you know, stuff like Liz's projects are helping create. Well, maybe that. I should tell you about the first project I built then because it this, that was also involved a greenway. Actually, it was the only other one that I've done that involved a greenway. It was back when I was working for the construction company. But this one, it was probably my favorite one that I ever built with them because it was so the epitome of why I got into stream restoration. It was in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And I mean, there was one downside to this is that a whole lot of people ended up being moved out of this segment of um, of the low income housing, they were all mm. placed in other low income housing, but mm. what they were doing was they were trying to daylight a stream that has been, or had been piped since I think the fifties. So what, what daylighting means is one of the easy answers when, Hmm, I really want to put a house here, but there's a gosh darn stream in the way. What can I do? You put a big ass pipe down. And then you cover up everything. <laughs> Hell yeah. So that's that's okay. the American way, right? <laughs> it, that ends up happening a lot more often than I mean, the entire city of Raleigh is built on a huge branching stream. I don't know if you knew that. There are a yeah. couple places in downtown Raleigh where it's daylighted just randomly, like right next to a building. I'm like, oh God, there's a stream right there. <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> Bizarre. Anyways, I digress. You shake your fist. You say daylighters. <laughs> so this stream, 
<laughs> you get and, your dozer and you knock down City Hall. <laughs> and you say, all you people Daylight up there City Hall. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Anyways. Um, so the stream in Spartanburg was buried for since the 50s, I believe. They, they bought all the houses and knocked them down. And then they hi- hired this company that I worked for to implement a stream that another engineering firm had, had, to, had done. And the grand idea was this... 2000 linear feet of stream was going to have a, a um, greenway next to it. And it was going to connect this, na- this entire low income neighborhood to a, um, like a farm stand kind of place where they grow vegetables in a, in greenhouses. And also this like cute little cafe thing with this awesome bridge over our structures and all this stuff. So it was, I mean, that part wasn't the epitome of why I got into stream restoration or engineering, but the being able to unearth a stream that had been, that hadn't seen the light of day since the fifties was, you know, every bit of why I, I wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. It was quite satisfying and it is doing remarkably well. All of the benthic invertebrates and all this stuff have come back and repopulated all of the, the, um, the woody material that we put in there. So it's, it's a very healthy ecosystem now. Cool. So you don't always get trout streams. Sometimes your intention is to make a very bug filled stream and that helps. I mean, it's an urban stream. So what you want is all these bugs to eat all that urban overflow from streets Hmm. and stuff like that. Hmm. But you bugs, (laughs) yuck. (laughs) <laughs> so, so that that actually brings us to a really good point liz is you know what what is the purpose of stream restoration so your project in western north carolina was clearly to um you know take down a dam and restore kind of the natural flow of the stream to to that area but you know on in a broader sense you know what sort of environmental impact does stream restoration make is it all is it all about like kind of the immediate ecosystem is it um you know do you for for let's put like where i grew up i'm in the chesapeake bay water you know basin um if or or like every, everything flow in I mean, Chesapeake Bay watershed. And so like everything in Virginia is the Chesapeake Bay watershed. Darn right. <laughs> One of the biggest watersheds East of the Mississippi. Thank you very much. Um, Adam. It. <laughs> but like I, I went, I went to environmental science governor school when I was in high school and <laughs> we, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's a lot of what we learned about was kind of the interactions between farmers and the impacts of how stream health way, way upstream, you know, up, you know, 250 miles away from the Chesapeake Bay impacted the health of the Bay. So from your perspective, Liz, like what, how does that sit for you? What, what are you, what, what are your goals? What are the goals of stream restoration when it comes to, like, like I said, it's immediate environmental impact and it's broader environmental impact. Yeah, there's there's so many different reasons that people come up with the stream restoration. It, it's kind of an unending list. It keeps on changing. <laughs> In uh, the immediate need for it is usually to offset the impacts of another stream being 
impacted. So I, I, I kind of wrote about this a little bit in my, my rant to the team that how stream restoration is funded it uh, primarily because there are some private fundings, but it just doesn't happen as often. Um, anyways, you, you get impacts to streams because uh, a road is widened. So they have to make a culvert longer. So you're, they're taking a hundred more feet of the stream and piping it, or they're putting a new road in over here and that's going to go straight through a wetland. So they're covering up a quarter acre of wetland or something like that. And instead of just, you know, turning the other cheek and being like, Oh, just don't do as much next time. You have to offset your impacts by purchasing credits mm. that go to banks. It's, it's, it's really confusing. It's cool. It's confusing to me. <laughs> it, these <laughs> credits are kind of associated with these mitigation banks and, and they fund the stream restoration project. So what ends up happening is a stream within the same watershed that the project exists it has an opportunity to be restored. And usually these mitigation banks will go ahead and do that restoration because maybe it's impaired. It's got um, banks that are falling in. Maybe it used to be a, a cow field and it's all sorts of torn up. There's no more willows. There's no more nine barks or anything like that to hold the banks in. So a stream restoration would, would could revitalize this, you know, 2000 feet of stream. And that is X number of credits worth of stream. So they do the work and then they hold on to those credits. And then when the DOT needs to extend a road and they need to purchase X number of credits, they purchase it from those banks. And so oh, go ahead. That's like in the immediate economic reason for stream restoration. There's that it's, it's to offset impacts from needed work because I'm not going to say that we don't need road widening because I've seen the traffic in Raleigh, you know, <laughs> things like that. It, the world's not going to just be like, nah, humans give it, give it a break. Um, but unless we force everyone to only ride bicycles, I mean, yeah. I would be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> We're halfway there. <laughs> so, and so the, the whole stream credits system, it brings to mind like the carbon credits that are used for mm -hmm. air, pollu like air pollution and, and, and CO2, or I guess just, yeah. Um, it's similar. Like, yeah. So, so, and obviously there's, I keep saying obviously, it's not obvious, but there, there is, Obviously, it is we're all on the same page here. All right. We're all engineers that deal with stream restoration. Okay. It, <laughs> Liz, you're preaching to the choir. Okay. <laughs> so there's, there's controversy surrounding that because I, you know, pure environmentalists say that, you know, carbon credits shift the problem. They don't, they're they're not attacking the source of the problem, which is uh, an excess of greenhouse gases being pushed into our atmosphere. You know, would what what do you say to that in regards to stream restoration? Where, like you were saying, you know, it's basically not an excuse, but you know, municipalities municipalities with money can can buy their way out of not respecting their immediate ecosystem. Mm -hmm. It's not a perfect system and for the same reason that carbon credits aren't, isn't a perfect system because it isn't 
treating the issue. It's just moving it around. But yeah. one thing that I feel makes it a little, a little bit more okay is that you have to do the restoration within the same watershed. Okay. And often yeah. there are requirements for how much nutrients that restoration has to remove from the system. And that kind of at least localizes it. So it's not like it's, it is moving it around, but it's still moving it within the same ultimate watershed so that the receiving water, body of water at the very bottom of the stream of the watershed is still not seeing in theory, it doesn't see the impact of the new work because something else was already restored. Sure. So it kind of negates it kind of, Sort of. You you keep telling yourself that, Liz. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Once again, selling out to big environmental engineering, that dang conglomerate just I looking for an for extra boats. buck. <laughs> yeah, all the boats that Liz has. Um, when you talked about bank credits and carbon credits, it made me think of credits, the payment uh, that people use in Star Wars. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the addition, Daniel. You're welcome. I mean, <laughs> we can't go, we can't let it go past. Yeah. Everybody was shouting it at their cars, their phones, whatever they were listening to this podcast on. They were like, what about Star Wars credits? Okay. You know, how are you, else, how else are you going to buy a lightsaber? Uh, you don't buy a lightsaber. <laughs> you make one with a kyber crystal and your own metal parts. Okay. <laughs> Uh, <sighs> to answer your Jeez. question in more of an environmental way, though, the reason for there are so many reasons, like there's so many green reasons for stream restoration. And there's a lot of people that think that that there's not, you know, there's a, a school of thought that thinks that if you leave a stream alone, it will eventually fix itself. And that is that is true. But you have to also remove what it's causing the impact, which is usually huh. human beings. And that's not going to be something often removed but stream restoration is is good for so many different like ecosystems so there's there's the fish obviously that that are in the water that that they they find these structures that we call toe wood and and root balls to be the best little hiding spots to to you know regain their energies to swim up the stream. There's also these really deep pools that we construct downstream of things like J hooks and cross veins that they they're deep enough that they keep the water cool in the summer so that some species um, fish species can actually live in that stream. It's they are so finicky. I swear to God, uh, there's so many special things that fish need, but then there's also like, uh, we found one in the stream when we were um, excavating it, but a, a mud bug, a, uh, Oh geez, a crawfish. Those are, you know, you, you see those all over the place too. And in healthy streams, they thrive. And you also end up getting all the bugs that will deteriorate that break down all the, the, grime that flows into the stream from all of, you know, human activities. And if you have a really healthy microinvertebrate ecosystem, you're, you're end up cleaning the water as it passes through the stream because they, they collect it and numb on it and that sort of thing. Not only that, but if you're still, if you want to look at just like the human benefit of stream restoration, if you have a, a stream up, upstream of, 
um, a, a healthy stream and that is unhealthy and it's eroding rapidly and all these banks are falling in and it's just flushing a whole bunch of sediment down the river. What could happen and often does is that downriver part of the stream that was doing okay now has this influx of sediment that it doesn't have the capacity to flush through it. So what what happens to that sediment is it settles out in that stream. And now that stream doesn't have the ability to fix itself and it starts to become unstable. And it's just a cascading effect, which is kind of an argument that that's commonly in the stream restoration world of you can't fix a 500 section part of stream. You have to, you have to go a little farther or else you're not going to actually do any good because there's going to be so much sediment coming from someplace else. There's actually, um, there was a lawsuit in Colorado Springs, I believe from their downstream neighbor Pueblo. I might be wrong on that one. Anyways, whomever is downriver of, um, Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs has very, very sandy soil, very highly erodible. And they kind of looked at it and said, ah, we don't give a crap about stormwater control. We're just going to let this happen and see and see what happens. Their rivers down cut 40 to 60 feet on a regular basis. And all of that sand went down river and just buried that, that town, not literally buried it, but just, you know, filled up their streams mm. and, it got so bad that that town sued Colorado Springs in order to force them to start controlling their stormwater. <laughs> That's it. And you're right. It is Pueblo. I just looked it up on the, the maps to Google. Oh, Thanks. But <laughs> that was a close one, Liz. It's, it's really, it's really interesting though, because if you go, if you zoom in on the satellite feed, like as soon as you get closer and closer to Pueblo, like the, the stream or the um, it looks like F- Fountain Creek, which yeah. is mm. that that it becomes increasingly sandy, like the stream banks, like goes from like being green <laughs> to just being like you know sand the yeah. entire way down. God, so, I hate sand. It's coarse <laughs> and it gets everywhere. <laughs> the worst thing to try to build a stream in. Let me tell you. <laughs> Uh, I like Adam doing his spy, his spying on Pueblo in Colorado Springs right now. I do what I can. His satellite feed. Now, now, Liz, is there like a uh, is there like a stream restoration wire that you list that you tune into on a daily basis? And or a like, podcast? Yeah, alert, stream restoration alert. podcast, stream no. restoration emergency in Pueblo. We're, we're, what would, we're not nearly cool enough for that. What would be the bat symbol for stream restoration? Like oh, a yeah, hieroglyph, right. like a three wavy lines, like that would be stream restoration. I think that means that dries your hands. <laughs> no, that's bacon. <laughs> oh no! Boy, oh boy! Is this listenable? Did <laughs> we just restart it? Um, kind of. Looking into today and the future, Liz, and kind of not, I don't want to call it a rant because it's not a rant because it's very important. Um, and rants can be important, but rants sometimes they're uh, derogative. To call it a rant would be derogative. Um, but your talk and your PSA about the current administration and the environment and 
what is going on with stream restoration if if people don't realize there's an election coming up now but if we can kind of tie it into what is going on with what we should worry about kind of with who we have in office right now mm-hmm. and how we as non-stream restoration engineers uh, what can we do to kind of help support you and your work and the environment at large if you will i will do my best um please <laughs> sum up american politics in maybe five minutes okay please. Um. <laughs> all right there's Ready, the republicans go. and the democrats <laughs> liz just plays how a bill how a bill becomes a law yeah from school oh, that'd be perfect. <laughs> well um what what you're alluding to is my my rant, I'll call it a rant. About, Your speech. But yeah, about my PSA about what's happening to this permit that controls the impacts on streams and wetlands in the United States. It's, it's called the nationwide permit. I can't remember the number, but it's normally revised every 10 years, I believe. And it was most recently revised in 2017. So it was not due for a revision. Now, granted, and you know, there's always two sides to a coin, right? The revision in 2017 did put very strict requirements on stream restoration or stream impacts and wetland impacts. It, I mean, it, hmm. it limited to 300 feet of stream impacts before you had to go start buying uh, credits, that sort of thing. And I think it was a quarter acre of wetland. To, I might be wrong on that. Anyways, um, it's it, it. What it ended up doing was causing a lot more credits to be be purchased because there was a lot of streams that were being impacted greater than three hundred feet. This the new rules changed it and changed its de- definition completely. It changes the requirement from a linear calculation for stream impacts to an area calculation. And what this ends up doing is, I mean, really it it hurts headwater streams and little tributaries the worst because it, it changes it to, I think it was a half an acre is allowed to be impacted before any credits have to be purchased. And what you have to look at is how wide is that stream? So you have the length that you want to impact, but then you also have, you know, your width. So if it's, you know, 10 feet wide, obviously you can impact less of the stream than if it was five feet wide. And what it ends up doing is allowing impacts of like 2000 to 4,000 linear feet without any sort of mitigation requirements. And that is, very bad for a stream. If you can imagine, I mean, any sort of little um, road widening means that they don't have to do a damn thing. And even a pretty significant fill, they don't have to do anything to, to mitigate the damage that they're doing to the stream. So you're removing 4,000 feet of stream and you can't, you don't have to replace it anywhere else. And I'm going off again. I should get off my soapbox, but <laughs> <laughs> no, that, the whole point was for you to get on the soapbox. Uh, so please. Well, well, what happened, what, what's happening is it's, it's the administration is forcing this, the revision and it's not, not set in stone yet. There's still time for comments and 
there's a whole group of us that are kind of coming together to make the best comment possible kind of thing (laughs) or several, but what's, what's going to happen is, is that's going to have a ripple effect throughout stream restoration primarily because it's going to reduce the amount of credits that are needing to be purchased for any sort of uh, construction that impacts the stream. And that doesn't just affect engineers, but it also affects all the construction crews because there's many construction companies that focus on stream restoration. That's all that they do. There's, mm-hmm. they don't have a, a track hoe for anything else. It's just for stream restoration kind of thing. And if there's not as much credits being purchased, that means there's not as, as much need to build a new, st- to restore a stream. So those companies are going to lose work as well. So it's not mm-hmm. just white collars. It's, it's blue collar too. It affects everybody. And it's right. not just North Carolina, it's nationwide. So this is going to impact the whole country. And that's just, that's just a huge impact from, from one permit. And you see the reasoning or you, it kind of becomes clear when you're looking at the, the page that they have of just the changes, they commonly spell out that it's, it made this change specifically for like the, it references the coal mining and there's some other things in there too that are very important to the current administration Mm. if you didn't already know that right (laughs) and it's no there's there's no denying that the people that our president has put into place in in some of the important environmental roles have not necessarily been the most qualified and that's this is just another you know piece to that it's not it's not their primary goal to protect the environment and and that's and we constantly flip flop we have a constant pendulum between let's let's protect the environment for 4 years and then oh let's just just destroy it for 4 years and it just keeps on going back and forth i mean honestly we really need some middle ground and i don't know if we'll ever find it um mm. but middle what ground. We're, that's that's not the that's not you sound necessary. like a communist oh, <laughs> compromise. Oh, compromise. Yeah. <laughs> Speak on both sides of the aisle. Right. Wasn't that the, the, the common phrase that you hear in politics? Mm. Um, what, what we're going to continue to see is, well, you're, you're going to see urban streams continue to erode and probably get worse. And there's just not going to be this, the same kind of, um, restoration efforts. So the, the kind of project that I just did had a fair amount of government funding. Mm-hmm. And if, if we didn't, weren't able to get that government funding, we might not have been able to, to do that stream. I, I know we wouldn't have been able to, because that was an expensive stream. Yeah. And there you are sitting it with your multiple boats, just looking <laughs> for that <laughs> cash grab. Lady. Let me tell you. <laughs> <sighs> let me tell you let me tell you mm. uh, <laughs> no no i think you know you, you bring up some really important points and i think that's indicative of this administration's attitude towards the environment in general mm. and like the really short-sightedness of a lot of the po- especially a lot of the environmental policies being put in place that are going to have massive negative 
downstream. <laughs> Get it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well done, Adam. I just oh, high-fived myself. <laughs> but just, you know, massive downstream impacts, you know, 5, 10, 15, 50 years down the road. Um, and that's really unfortunate because it's going to be, you know, you know the, the next couple of generations are going to have to deal with that. Good times. Good, good times. Yeah. Well, and we'll just on keep that. on swinging back and forth because – you know, the, the next administration might force another change in the nationwide permit. That's very true. Or streams. On that happy note, <laughs> is there any last word you want to say, Liz? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> I mean, you kind of already put a fine bow on it. Yeah. We're all kind of screwed, but. <laughs> I guess We're if, I, if I could say anything else is um, just, you know, it, if you're if you're don't litter because that always ends up in in the stream. Urban riprap is is a real thing and it's it's real it's not real great. <laughs> mm. uh, and you know, take a look around when you're walking a greenway. I mean, in here in Raleigh, and when you're out mountain biking or when you're just driving around town, just look at the streams. And if you see something with vertical banks and and you know active erosion, that's not normal. It may seem normal because that's what you always see, but that's not how it's supposed to be. And it is directly because of human impacts. Now, granted, streams always move and change on their own. That's just mother nature. But they don't mow their banks and they don't allow cattle to walk through them and and they don't dump tires in them. That's all the human impact. And that's what is accelerating and causing a stream to not be able to change and stabilize itself. So just open your eyes and you'll see that it's a lot more places than you think it is. Liz, yeah. Liz's guidance. Don't be stupid. <laughs> Take those Stop AirPods out of <laughs> Oh, that's a fine way to put it. Um, take the AirPods out of your ears, folks, and just listen to nature at work. Um, well, thank you so much, Liz, um, for joining us tonight and today and on this episode. Uh, we really appreciate, as always, uh, you talking with us and talking with us about stream restoration. If you guys are cool with it, we can head into recommendations. Absolutely. Yeah. Yay. Go first. I need to think again. <laughs> Adam, do you have anything you want to recommend? Cause I, I have <laughs> several things. I do have. Uh, okay. So, all right. So my recommendation is for everyone to watch a, a show on that's recently came to Netflix, but was on CBS and still is on CBS called the unicorn. Hmm. Um, it is a 20 minute, uh, single camera sitcom, if you will. Um, and it, the, um, main character is played by Walton Goggins and mm. yeah. And it's, it's a completely different, kind of family friendly sitcom than most people are used to because Walton's known for like his really serious um uh his really serious roles and but he's a fantastic 
actor uh, Michaela Watkins is in there. Omar Benson Miller is in there. Sarai Rao is in there. Rob Corddry is, is a main character there. And it's hilarious. And it really reminds me of uh, kind of a new take on Modern Family. Gotcha. And the premise is essentially Walt Goggins is a widower. Um, and he has two, uh, young, you know, kind of tween daughters that he, that he's raising. And basically it's it's just kind of like the hilarity of him trying to come to terms with the loss of his wife, um, which is not hilarious, but kind of the process by which, by which he does. So the the story picks up a year after she passed away. Um, but then like him reentering the dating pool and kind of the, uh, I'd say over involvement of some of his friends, but there's there's one season on Netflix, and it is uh, I think Sarah and I started watching it on Saturday, and we are already on uh, episode fifteen. So nice, <laughs> almost done. Check it out. It's very good. Highly recommend it. Very nice. Uh, Liz, would you like to go, or do you want me to give I, my recommendation? I could go real quick. I um I thought of some. It, it's actually what I'm watching on TV right now, um, and it's also a, a show, obviously. Uh, it gives you a little bit of, you know, the world's not such a terrible place kind of mentality, but it's the Great British Baking Show has a... Oh, hell yeah. They, yeah. Have, a, they have a new season out. <laughs> I just got very excited. <laughs> so sorry. I love that show. It just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy, not only because I want to bake all the things that they're making, but everybody's just so damn nice to each other. And mm-hmm. God, I wish everybody was like that. <laughs> the worst they can say about you is that you have a soggy bottom. <laughs> That's a bad bake. It, it is a pretty amazing show, I must say. Mm-hmm. So now I I have to ask. Um, oh, the so are you a Paul Hollywood or a Mary Berry? Mary Berry's not on the. Uh, she isn't. She <laughs> I isn't forgot the, the new anymore. lady's name. I don't know her name either. Peru. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Prue. Are you a Paul Hollywood or a Peru? <laughs> I'm a Prue or Mary Berry. <laughs> um, there's there's the new host Matt Lucas. What yeah. are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on on him? Do you like Ooh. him? Yes or no? Well, <laughs> I really miss the original hosts, but uh, I think he adds a pretty funny little element. I like him too. I think he's okay. funny. <laughs> he his kind of like light. I, and I, I miss Sandy, the, uh, the, 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 the woman who was on before him, but and yeah. then no, no, Noel is always kind of weird and funny too, but anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so great British bacon show from Liz. Um, all right. Going off of what Liz said of trying to kind of have a light and happy mindset in this crazy time right now. Number one recommendation, please go vote and please go vote for not Donald Trump. Um, I don't know if people have figured out that we are not a Republican Donald Trump podcast, but if you haven't figured that out by now, fucking surprise. (laughs) Um, So please go vote, go vote early, Um, help out people to vote if you can, because otherwise we will have no more streams and our earth will die. But moving on to lighter things, some a uh, couple of great artists just put out new albums. Uh, number one is Future Islands just put out an album called As Long As You Are. And if you want to shake your rumpa a little bit and dance a little bit in your home office right now during quarantine, COVID times, um, that is the album to listen to. 
and then Matt Berninger, uh, Berninger. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his last name, but he's the front man of the national. He came out with a new album called Serpentine Prison, uh, which is also very good. So if you need to, uh, if you need deep voiced men um, singing songs to you, <laughs> like sometimes I need, <laughs> then that is the way to do it. Um, those are very fun, very good albums to listen to. The funny stuff I want to suggest, sorry for taking up so much time. Um, there's a podcast called Freedom. It is Paul F. Tompkins, Scott Ackerman, and Lauren Lapkus, where they just talk. And it is sometimes hilarious, sometimes touching, sometimes deep, sometimes moving, but very, very funny. And they are coming out with a new season two days from now on October 22nd. Please listen to that. And then if you need to check out a, a podcast all about uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you should go to Sean Diston's Patreon and subscribe so you can listen to Scott Ackerman and Sean Diston talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies as they watch them and talk about them. And <laughs> it's just amazing. That is what has been getting me through this uh, couple of months, trying not to flop sweat every time I think that the election <laughs> is two weeks away and trying not to <laughs> cry, my, cry myself waking up when I uh, realize that the election is two weeks away. <sighs> So, Future Islands, Matt Berninger, uh, however you say his last name, uh, Freedom, and we have to talk talking. We have to stop talking TMNT on CBB, Sean Diston and Scott Ackerman. Nice. Thank you guys. Whew. Whew. <sighs> it's been a while, Adam. I had to recommend those to you. You need to listen to those okay. and watch I, and listen. I, I just I just favorited slash followed all of them on Spotify. So you all Yay. All right. Um Liz, thank you so much for joining us and talking streams with us. We won't stream you along, listeners. Oh, you should listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for um, giving me the opportunity, guys. Yeah, of course. It's fascinating and, and we the mother earth loves your work and we hope you continue doing it. And yeah, thank, thanks so much for, for joining us. Mm-hmm. Um, Liz, do you want to share social media tags or no? My, um, I'm only on Instagram. So my only thing, my only social media is, uh, at E G D Natale. So I guess if you can spell my name, then you can find me. Um, mm. but that's, uh, E G D I N A T A. L E and on my profile is a highlighted series of Instagram stories. One of them is just the, the excavator having fun in a pool. And then another one is it, it goes through all of what, why, what and why stream restoration and that particular project. And it has a whole bunch of pictures from, from that project. So cool. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and we are on all social medias. Um, they The links will be in our episode description. Yeah. If you don't know where to find us, then you don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, we will be posting a lot of Liz's stuff in the next coming weeks because uh, there's a lot of information out there and you should know it. And recommend Passion Fruits Podcast to a friend. I mean, you're voting for the correct candidate. You should also vote for the correct podcast. So send them out to a friend. Uh, Adam, anything else? That's it for me. That's it for all of us. Thanks, you know, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening, everybody. Good night. Thank you, Liz. Good night, Adam. 
Good night, Liz. Sleep tight. Good night, don't Mary. Let the bag, don't let the <laughs> don't let the stream bugs bite. Thanks. And uh, we'll catch you on another time. All right. Good night, guys. Adios. Thank you.